joining us tonight for our Good Friday service. Um, if I've not met you before, my name is Larry Anderson, and uh, uh, one of the great privileges I have in my life is that I am a grandfather, better known in the Anderson households as Grandpa. We've welcomed two new grandchildren uh, just in the last month or so, uh, Jane in Chicago and Henry just recently in Huntington Beach. And um, one of the cool things about being a grandfather is you get to go back and do all of the things uh, over again that you used to do. You get to pull out the G.I. Joes and, and uh, you, you know, you get to, uh, we were in Chicago, for example, and we, it was, we played football and then we went to the park and played baseball and then we came back and played foosball and all of that by 8.30 in the morning. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, but one of the other things is that you get to go back and watch all the fun movies again. And, and it reminded me this week, I, I was thinking about one of the movies, and, and the older kids are getting where they can watch this one. It's a little crazy for the younger ones. But do you remember Beauty and the Beast? Do you remember the movie Beauty and the Beast? I have one of these great questions for us. You know, um, one of the, you know, one of those, you, you know, you go on the mountaintop and you ask the, the guy with the long beard and stuff. Um, what would have happened to the beast if beauty had never shown up? Uh, what would have, you, you know the story, right? I mean, um, there's a time when the beast, when he was handsome prince and he lived in a spectacular palace and, and all of this until he came under the curse, under a curse. And, and then uh, once the curse came, then this darkness fell over his life and, and uh, over the palace. Uh, he, darkness, he hid. Uh, the palace was secluded now. It was overgrown. And we have this prince with a really um, long snout and curved tusks and a really bad attitude. And Belle, the beauty, shows up. And when the beauty shows up, his life has changed. Uh, it all changed because of her. Um, and so the question is, what would have happened if she hadn't appeared? Or worse yet, what would have happened if she just hadn't cared? Uh, if she'd have shown up, but then she didn't care about him, didn't care about his situation. But because beauty loved the beast, the beast became more beautiful himself. And, you know, the story's familiar because it's a famous fairy tale, but it's also familiar be because it speaks to our hearts. It speaks to our own lives uh, because we were all born with a beast inside of us. You know, the Bible gives it a different name. The Bible calls this beast inside of us sin. In fact, uh, Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the Lord. And, and then later in Romans 6.23, it says that for the wages of sin, the result of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, you know, when we come to this part and we can say, you know what, I'm, I'm not such a bad person. I do more good things in my life than I do bad things. And, and we can ignore what happens on the inside of us. We can ignore the beast inside of us, the, the lying or the jealousy or the rage or the anger. We can pretend none of those things exist. Um, and we can pretend that our world, that the world that we live in is perfect. But the interesting thing about God is that God is never content to let us pretend. 
He wants us to know what our problem is, and so he gave it a name for us, and he called that problem sin. And sin isn't simply a list of things that we do uh, or don't do, but sin, the Bible says, is a condition of the heart. It's separation from God. It's, it's a condition, it's a beast that's born in us that, that causes us to be separate from God. And there's nothing that we can do on our own to fix that. That we can't be good enough to figure that out. We can't be good enough to make it right. We can't behave well enough. We can't do enough good things to to change that separation from God. It takes something more intense. It takes something more real. It takes something more serious to cure. And sometimes the Bible tells us that being lost or being in darkness is, uh, is... what life looks like when we're separated from God. And without God intervening on our behalf, we're without hope. And and imagine, you know, some people say, well, if God is so good, why is the world so bad? And I would challenge them to think think about this, that if, if it wasn't for God, can you imagine how bad the world could get? How bad the world would be? But we all have this condition And we can try to ignore it if we want, but the reality is that we're all born with this beast inside of us. And without the beauty of Jesus, just like the prince who endured the curse, uh, the curse will win in our lives. So Jesus comes and and this whole all leads us to the story of the cross because uh, to, to, be, to remove that separation from God, to have our sin forgiven, there needed to be a perfect sacrifice and Jesus came to provide that sacrifice for us. And so we come to this season and, and we know that, that last night was the night, we've called it Monday, Thursday in the church, but it, it's the time that Jesus took his disciples and, and they went to an upper room and they had supper together and Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and, and in spite of their rebellion, in spite of their infighting, in spite of their competition, he washed their feet and then he instituted what we call in the church the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion they experienced that, the, the bread and the cup together that night. And from there, he took his disciples to a garden. And probably one of the most important events in history took place in the garden where Jesus prayed. He prayed through the night. And he asked the Father if there was any other way. You see, Jesus was without sin. Jesus had never experienced separation from God. That was going to happen to him for the first time in all eternity he would experience separation from God. And he said, Father, if there's any other way to do this, let this cup pass from me. But then he said, not my will be done, but your will be done. And and Jesus, if we really look at it, he won the battle for our lives. He won the battle of the cross in that garden when he said, not my will be done, but your will be done, Father. And so we, we know that the soldiers came and some priests with them and Judas and Jesus was betrayed. And when he was betrayed and arrested, we know that all of his disciples fled. They, they ran in fear and they hid. So not only did he experience this betrayal of Judas, but he also experienced the fleeing. He also experienced the fear and the rejection and the loss of his disciples. And then the religious leaders took him and they held sort of a mock court 
they trumped up these charges to, to try to convict Jesus of anything that they could find. And, uh, because they, the religious leaders of the day, see, they were the ones, they were the perfect image managers. They, they lived in a world that was about keeping the rules. They, they lived in a world that was about doing the right thing. And regardless of what's going on in the inside, regardless of the, 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 the beast on the inside of them, regardless of the wickedness in their heart, as long as they could look good on the outside, as, as long as they could make everybody feel like they were okay. That's how they kept score. That's what they thought life was supposed to be about. So when Jesus came in and he said that it's not about the outward appearance, but God looks at our hearts, the religious leaders decided we need to get rid of him. That's not the message that we want out there. That's gonna change everything that we have built here. And so they have this mock trial, but because of their laws, they can't execute Jesus, so they take him to Pilate. Pilate is a, a, the prelate or the Roman governor, and he's assigned to Jerusalem in this area called Judea. And Pilate hated being there. It was not the outpost that he wanted. It was not the place that Pilate ever wanted to go because the Jews were troublesome. They were always revolting. They were always complaining. There was always something going on. And so, and his job was to keep the peace. And, and his job was if the, if the folks in Rome never heard anything about the people in Jerusalem, then he was doing his job. Keep it quiet. Keep them out of the news. Keep them from revolting. Keep them from causing trouble, from insurrection. As long as he could do that, then everything would be okay. But they were such a troublesome people. There, were, there, were someone, there was someone always claiming to be a Messiah, someone always claiming to, to be a new ruler, someone always trying to overthrow the Romans. There were zealots and insurrectionists and terrorists and all of this that Pilate had to deal with, and he hated being there. And so on this night, they bring Jesus to him, and he doesn't want anything to do with it. But when Jesus was brought to him, it had initiated a dramatic sequence of events. You see, Pilate goes out in John 18, 29, and he faces the crowd, and the crowd tells him that the religious leaders, they say, we want you to crucify this man, Jesus. We, we want you to get rid of him. He's broken the laws, and, and Pilate doesn't believe them, but he goes back in and he talks to Jesus. And then in the next scene, Pilate goes back out again, this time bringing Jesus, and he talks to the people out there again, and again they say, crucify him, uh, kill him, punish him, and they're putting pressure on Pilate. And remember, Pilate doesn't want to be here in the first place. His job is to keep the peace. His job is to keep them out of trouble, not to let anything stir up. And they're threatening to stir something up. They're threatening revolt. They're threatening trouble if he doesn't have this Jesus executed. And Pilate doesn't know what to do. He has an innocent man in front of him. And yet the religious leaders and those in power are saying, crucify him. So he goes back in, and here's where we pick it up in John 19, verses 1 to 5. It says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe, and they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. 
And Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you. You see, Pilate thought, If I can, if, if I can humiliate him and if we can flog him, if, if we can beat him into submission, uh, if we can make an example of him and then I take him out that way, maybe that'll be enough for the crowd. Maybe they'll be satisfied if they see that we've made fun of him, if they see that we've flogged him, if, he, if they see that we've beaten him. Maybe that'll be enough for them. See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. They beat Jesus. They humiliated him. But that wasn't enough for the Jewish leaders. They wanted to make an example of him. And so then Pilate takes Jesus back in to speak to him again privately. And then he comes out once again with Jesus. And there's a rule, there was a law at this time of year that you could release one prisoner no matter what the charges were. And, and so he brought out of, the, out of prison this murderer, a terrorist, a zealot named Barabbas. And, and he placed him up beside Jesus. And he said, I'll release one by law just assuming that he would be able to release Jesus. And they said, no, release Barabbas. They, they knowingly were releasing a murderer, a, a terrorist, because they were so afraid of Jesus at this point. And Pilate looked at him and he said, what, what should I do with this man? And they said, crucify him. And now Pilate's afraid. He's afraid of what might happen. He's afraid of the political implications. He's afraid of trouble that's brewing. And he allows Jesus to be taken away, to be crucified. But underneath all of that, what we are seeing is the cost of our sin. The cost of our sin and the depth of God's love. John 19, verse 16 to 18, it says this, So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to a place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is Golgotha, which also in Latin is Calvary. And there they crucified him with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. It was a great scandal. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. He came... He claimed that he had come to deliver his people. You see, we had this condition, this separation from God, and the only thing that could save us, the only thing that could separate, uh, to, to, to heal this separation from God, is if one who had never sinned, one who had never experienced that separation, came and paid the price, and Jesus came, the scripture says, as a ransom. He came to pay the price for our sin. He came to give us, to give his life, for us. 
so that we might have an opportunity to have a right relationship with the Father, so that we might have an opportunity to have life in God. You know, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, oh, they thought they were in control. At least they were fighting to stay in control. But perhaps the most unique aspect of this is that while they thought they were in control, Jesus was saying, I came for this purpose. My mission was to give my life as a ransom. And Jesus came to pay that price for us, to bridge the separation between us and God. Verse 28, John 19 says this, after Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge of the... um, of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Have you ever wondered why sometimes in the Gospels they're so specific about things? Why, why even mention a hyssop branch? Because most of us have no idea what a hyssop branch is. But it has great historic biblical value because there was a point in history when the children of Israel were in Egypt and God had sent Moses to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And, and there were 10 plagues and, the, and, and Pharaoh was still hard-hearted and, and wasn't going to release the people. And so on the last night, uh, an angel of death was going to sweep through Egypt and the firstborn child, male child of each family was going to be slain unless there was a blood of a sacrifice over their doorpost. And so that night, the Israelites took a hyssop branch and they used that dipped it in the blood of the sacrifice and painted it over the doorway of their home. And now, thousands of years later, all of this time later, at the cross, the same idea that the hyssop branch is dipped in this wine and it's raised up to Jesus, who is the Passover lamb, who is the one that came to take away the sins of the world, who came to save us. Jesus was driven by his great love and our great need And in the cross, we don't find defeat, but we find fulfillment. We find freedom. We find life. There are three images that I would like you to consider tonight as we look at the cross. The the first is the crown of thorns. Um, You saw a spectacular one as you came in tonight. Uh, But the crown of thorns, it's interesting that in that throughout the scripture, thorns are always uh, symbols of the result of sin. And they put those, that crown of thorns, they thought they were doing it to humiliate Jesus. They thought they were doing it to make fun of him, that you call yourself the king of the Jews. But they put that symbol of our sin on his head. And then in Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 27, verse 30, it says that the soldiers, not only did they flog him, not only did they beat him and hit him and humiliate him, but it says that they spit on him. And what's amazing about that is that that wasn't part of their orders. That just came out of their own cruelness. And it reminds us, it reminds us that, that, that uh, the, of the cruelness of the, the 
evil that's in us that causes us sometimes to dehumanize people. They, they were trying to humiliate Jesus. They were trying to dehumanize Jesus, and, and it was just an evil thing to do, and yet we're capable of that as well in our own lives. And, and maybe as we think of that, as we think of how those soldiers in their attempt to humiliate that, that Jesus, that they spit on him, uh, that maybe it would be a symbol of the filth in our own hearts, the beast inside of us, the, the need that we have, the capacity that we have sometimes for evil. And that Jesus carried their filth. He wore their filth. He carried it all the way to the cross. And the story of Beauty and the Beast ends here because Jesus took our sin. He became sin for our sake. He changed places with us and he put himself under the curse. In Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus died with us instead of us for us. The beauty, the Christ, bore our shame and our sin. And then the third picture with the crown of thorns and the soldiers spitting on Jesus, the third picture that I'd like you to consider are the, the nails that they nailed Jesus to the cross. Colossians 2.14 says this, by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Romans 3.22 says this, the righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. In verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then in 24, it says, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. That when Jesus was nailed to the cross, The religious leaders, the Roman soldiers, thought, people watching thought they were doing that to secure him on the cross, but the real reason that he was being nailed on the cross was because between the cross and, and his hand, there was a list. There was a list of mistakes and sins and things that we've done, things that separate us from God, lies, our lusts, our greedy moments, but those words can't be seen that are written on that list because they're covered with the blood of Christ as he's crucified, as his blood was shed on the cross. So they spit on him, they placed a crown of thorns on his head, but Jesus took the nails. Jesus took the nails. The nails were especially for us. The sacrifice had to be made. The wages of sin had to be paid. But the story doesn't end here. God's story in our lives does not end here because that was Friday and Sunday's coming. The resurrection is just around the corner. But tonight, tonight we remember. Tonight we remember that in order for us to be saved, in order for us to be free of our sin, in order for us to be reconciled back to God, Christ came and paid that price. Tonight we remember how much God loves us. 
And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, on that Thursday night, when a supper with his disciples, he gave us a way, uh, he, he gave us a way to remember. And the scripture says that Jesus took bread. And, and when he had broken it, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And then it says, in the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this represents the the cup of my new covenant. This represents the blood of my new covenant, the blood that I've shed for you. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me, Jesus said, until I return. And so on a regular basis here at North, we share in the Lord's Supper. We share in, in the bread and the cup together so that we remember what Christ has done. We remember how much we're loved. We remember the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf to take away our sin, to take the curse from our lives. And so tonight we want to take time to remember together and we have uh, four stations for communion together. Uh, We're going to have some more music and and we're going to invite you. There's two stations in the back and there's two stations here in the front, and so you can pick the closest place, and, and you can come, and there's a, a, a matzah wafer that you can dip into the cup, or uh, you can use the regular communion um, bread and cup that we normally have, uh, whatever you're most comfortable with. But let's take time tonight. Let's take some time tonight and remember. I, I want us to know... You know, sometimes it's so often we, we know that we know there's bad stuff in our lives. You know, we know there's sin. What I want you to remember tonight is how much you are loved. How incredibly loved you are in spite of everything else. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to give himself as a ransom for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this time. This time that we've set aside to remember how incredibly loved we are by you. Lord, we are so grateful. And Lord, as we come to the table tonight, as as we share together in in the Lord's Supper, in your Supper, Lord, remind us that your, your body was broken for us, that you shed your blood for us, Lord, so that we might have life, so that we might uh, be forgiven, so that we might have a relationship with you. And we thank you, Lord, that it doesn't end there. But Lord, you were raised, that we have life today because of you. So Lord, we want to give you thanks. We want to give you praise, and we want to give you all the glory. In Jesus, your name, your precious and holy name. Amen.